0: Well, you've probably heard the expression, it's like riding a bike, you never forget how. And while everyone who does ride a bike, which is probably everybody here, you had to go through this learning process where you fall down sometimes and you're real wobbly, but then after just a little bit, you get to where you can just ride along. And pretty soon, you don't really even realize it, but you just get on the bike and ride and you don't even think about it anymore. They just, they just get on and ride. And even if you go for 20 or 30 years and never even get on a bike, you go pick one up, you get on, and you ride away. It's like riding a bike. You never forget. Well, there is a, a man who He does a program, and he talks about various scientific subjects. And he was talking about riding a bike and how you never forget and how your brain works to just keep those things in it. And someone made for him a backwards bike, not a bike that goes backwards, but one that steers backwards. Let's see. Okay. Point it that way. Still, let me try that button. Okay, I was pushing the laser button. So what they did is added this little gear device on it so that when you turn to the left, the wheel went to the right. When you turn to the right, the wheel went to the left. And he looked at this and he says, okay, I understand the concept. This isn't mysterious. You just have to do everything opposite. But try as he might, he could not ride that bike it was just so ingrained in his mind, the normal way to ride a bike, that doing something backwards just didn't work. Well, he decided he was going to try to retrain his mind, see if that was even possible. For a while, he didn't think it was, but he practiced this every day for eight months and he got to where he could just kind of wobble down the street, kind of like a child who is just learning, and he, but he could stay upright. And after just doing that for a while longer, he got to where he could ride smoothly, and after a little bit more, he could just pick that bike up and ride it and not even think about it. But an interesting thing happened. He, about a year later, went and got on a regular bike again, and he couldn't ride it. He would just immediately fall down, just like that little child who's getting on a bike for the first time. And he wondered whether he could ever ride a normal bike again, and he worked at it and worked at it, and he got switched back, and he could do that. He couldn't ride the other one anymore. And I imagine if he really worked at going back and forth, eventually he could get to where he could pretty easily switch. But this is the way your brain works. Now, you're not going to find bikes in the Bible, but you will find a command to transform or retrain your mind. And This is going to make more sense later on in the message, but just Keep this in your in your mind. Your brain can and often is trained to react without you even giving it a thought. You just a lot of the things we do in life we just do out of reaction and repetition. And when you try to change that way of thinking or reacting, it can seem like it's impossible. But it is not impossible. But it can be difficult. Well, before we get into our our passage, let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the one who created our minds and you know all about them. You know how they form, you know how we think and how we react to things and how some things are permanently stuck in our minds and other things we seem not able to remember. Lord, you are the one who's told us that we need to be conformed to the image of your Son, and that's going to take a transformation in our minds. And if you told us that's what we need to do, then it certainly can be done by your grace with your your Spirit's work in our lives. We pray that as we look into these things today that you would help us to Understand, understand the concepts, understand what we need to do, and maybe even more significantly understand that through your grace and with the help of your spirit that these things can be accomplished, even when we try and try like the child trying to learn to ride a bike, that it seems impossible, but it can be done through your spirit that lives within us. Help us to understand all the truth that is given in this passage today and help us as we seek to put it to practice in our lives and, and struggle with it. And we do thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So our big idea is that we learn not to walk like the world, by learning to walk like Christ. It's changing the way we live. Let's read through our our passage. We're going to cover verses 20 through 24. It says this, But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Well, it's kind of a confusing sentence, and we'll try to make that a little easier to understand as we go along. But first, let's just understand how we get to this point. Because of everything that we learned in the past nine nine months now almost, particularly in the first three chapters, because of all of those things, it tells us something in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says that we should do what? Somebody yell it out. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, what? What? Walk worthy of your calling. Other people are allowed to answer these, by the way. And I'm going to ask another one here in a minute. So so that's what he says in verse 1. Because of everything you learn in those first three chapters, walk worthy of your calling. And then in verse 2 through 16 in that same chapter, Paul shows us how we should walk in relation to other believers, particularly in the local church. And there's one word primarily that describes that walk. He says we should walk in another word. That's part of it. I'm going to just wait until somebody comes up with it. Other than Zach. (laughs) He already knows what that word is. That that's part of it too, not the main word. The thing that just characterizes how the body of Christ interacts with one another. Unity. We've got it. Walk in unity. Uh, well, not anymore. Now we know. <laughs> So that, that unity is characterized, as, as has been brought up, by love. It's characterized by humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. But all of those things are necessary if we're going to walk in unity. And then in verse 17, the passage that Zach covered last time, he begins to talk about our walk in relation to the world. Now, what I don't mean by this is that you have one way that you act in church and another way that you act out among the world. But think of it like this. If an outside observer should come in and just observe, um, look at the, the members of this church, he should walk away and say, those people are characterized by love and unity. That's what he should notice about the way we interact with one another. There is unity and a love for one another. If that same outside observer should watch your new life in Christ, or how this congregation interacts with the church, or excuse me, with the world around them, they should come away saying, there is a marked contrast between those people and those people. So when he looks at the church, you should see unity among the whole group. When he looks at the church versus outside, he should see a contrast in the way that they're living. So last week, we got a good description of our lives before Christ. It was in conformity to the world of people who live without Christ. That's what we were. It is uh, not something that we had to try to learn. Scripture makes it clear that simply being in this world, the world will conform you to itself. You will learn the way the world wants you to be just by being there in this world. We learned that we... uh, We are all a lot like the Grinch, in particular, that we have a heart problem. Uh, This is before coming to Christ. Every one of us before Christ was opposed to God, whether you want to admit it or not. Some people just sunk deeply into sin. Other people, at least on the outside, appeared to be pretty good, upright folks. But we all know that we were living in sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. You you may even have known this to the point you looked at your own life and, and were miserable. Said, I hate the way I'm living, but I just can't seem to do anything about it. And not only that, but you wanted more of the same thing. You hear that about drug addicts. They'll realize this life I'm living is absolutely miserable. Can I please have some more? And it doesn't make sense, but it's what the world and sin does. Unbelievers, and that includes every one of us, before we came to know Christ, are internally corrupted. That is, our our heart has been damaged. That happened at the fall, and then everyone born into this world since then has come into it with a, a heart that is corrupted. And it, it shows in different ways for different people. Some people may do everything they can to please everybody around them because that's, it doesn't matter what they want them to do. They'll just do it to try to please the people around them. That's how they make themselves feel good. The next guy may come along and say, I'm the strongest, so I get my way. Most of us say, I just want whatever pleases me right now. Some say, I'm in charge of my life. You're not the boss of me. That's getting to be the more common theme right now. I'm in charge of my life. I can decide who I am and what I am and... Everything else about me. Some of us are just plain stubborn. Well, maybe all of us are just plain stubborn. But then we get to verse 20, and the contrast is clearly set up. So we just looked at our old lives, and then it says this, but that is not how you came to know Christ. The line has been drawn. Our old life, and the life of a Christian are absolutely incompatible. So as we really get into our our passage this morning, I want to accomplish four things. And three of them are going to be pretty short and easy, and the last one will take a little more time. First, I want to make sure we don't get lost in the details of this big, long sentence. Our whole passage is one sentence. I want to make sure that we're not seeing something or making this passage say something that it doesn't say. I'll explain that when we get there. I want to notice one kind of little side detail that is not so significant to what we're teaching today, but because of the people that we live around here in Utah, it does have some real significance to us. And then the last thing that we'll spend most of our time is is focus on the, the how. How is it that we can begin to learn to walk in contrast to the world? Well, verses, as I mentioned, verses 20 through 24, that's our passage, and it is one long sentence. It has really one main idea And then there are several sort of parentheses, or maybe we could call them descriptive clauses that explain some of the things that are written in the main sentence. So what I've done is taken that main sentence and wrote that out, leaving all the descriptive things out so we can get a little better idea of what the main idea is. So if we take our passage and leave out the descriptive things, it would say this. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him to take off your former way of life, to be renewed and put on the new self. So now you get the main idea. He's saying your old self is not the way you ought to be. If you know Christ, you were taught by him to put off that old man and put on the new. And then he describes some of those things, and I've underlined the things that are described. When it says, assuming you were taught by him, of course it's referring to Christ, and you were taught by him through his word and the life that he lived. But it says about him, it says, as the truth is in Jesus. So we were taught by Jesus, and that is where the truth is. The next thing that's described, he says, to take off your former way of thinking, uh, let's see, your former way of life, and then he gives a description. It's that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. That's what Zach taught us about two weeks ago. And he says you're to be renewed, and he's going to tell you in what way you need to be renewed, in the spirit of your minds. That's kind of what our, our introduction is about. Our minds have been trained to follow the world, and it needs to be retrained, renewed. And then he says to put on the new self. Well, what new self? It's the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So we've got our one main idea, and then four little explanatory clauses, and hopefully that makes the the passage a little easier to grasp. The second thing, I want us to make sure that we don't see this passage as saying something that it doesn't. Verse 21 says, Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The question that often brings to people's mind is Paul here questioning whether the Ephesians. Had actually trusted Christ or not. Um, I remember in my King James Bible, they translated that word. It said, uh, if you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, and it's like maybe he's trying to differentiate. Some of you did and some of you didn't, but the way this is actually written. They use a form of a word that can be translated if, but it's a form that allows the reader to understand. The guy who wrote it is saying, if this is true, and I am assuming that it is in your case. And that's why our, our translators here in our CSB Bibles really got it right there when they just, it says, Paul says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught by him. So the sentence becomes something like this. If you heard about Jesus and were taught by him, and I assume you have, then here's what you need to do. Okay, third thing. This is that little unusual side detail. It says, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness. Now, we have people who live around us who will tell you, yes, we were created in God's likeness. We saw a vision of God, and he looked just like us. That's why he made us this way. We are just like God in the fact that he has arms and legs and a head, and so do we. We are in his likeness, just like when I am... When, when I have a son, he is in my likeness. He doesn't look just like me. He's much better looking and taller and a lot of things. But he's still, he's like me. He's got a head and arms and legs and he's in my likeness. But that's not what this passage is talking about. We were created in God's likeness. But nowhere in the Bible does it say we were made to be physically like him. In fact, it tells us point blank in John 4, 24. It says, God is spirit. He is not a man like we are a man. Jesus is now a man. He took on that likeness of a man when he came into this world. And he kept that. He he is still a man. He still has a body. But the Father is a spirit. He has, in a number of places, come into this world and taken on the likeness of a man temporarily so he could walk and talk with men. He's God. He can do that. But God is a spirit. But there is a way that we are specifically like him, and it tells us right in this passage. The one creating created according to God's likeness, but here's where the likeness is, in righteousness and purity of the truth. See, we were created to reflect God's character, not his his power. Uh, The Bible does not say that we are going to be omnipotent. We will will never become all-powerful. We will never be all-knowing. We will never be omnipresent. We'll never be able to be all places at the same time but we were created to be holy as He is holy. We talked about that much in prayer service today. And it's this likeness to God, this holiness like God that was damaged when men fell, when men took on their sin nature and sinned in the garden, and that was passed on to all of us. And it's that sin that Jesus died to pay for it, not not just our original sin but all sin that we commit because we have that sin nature. And it's because Christ died, when a person accepts him, he gains that new nature and that's when a person can begin to change the way his mind is programmed. He can begin to be conformed to the image of Christ instead of being conformed to the image of the world. So that brings us to our longer point: How do you walk in contrast to the world? Understand, it's not just a matter of trying to be different than them. You know, there's some things we're not going to do different. We're still going to drive our car the same way. Well. If you drove properly before, maybe you used to drive like a maniac. Maybe you, you realize now you ought to drive legally and properly. But the the how-to's don't really change. There's things that you don't have to be different than the world, and you're going to still walk the same way, and uh, you're going to still probably speak the same language you always speak spoke, though it may be a little cleaner than it used to be. But There are ways, ways that reflect the character of God, where you will walk in a marked contrast to the world. And Paul uses a metaphor here. He says, there's certain things you need to take off and other things you need to put on. That's a really clear, easy to understand metaphor. Paul uses it several times in the New Testament. And if you think of clothing, it makes it really easy to understand If you've been out working in the dirt and mud and you come in and you take off your old clothes and you throw them in the clothes hamper and your wife will probably say oh can't you put them somewhere else because you're making everything else even worse but but then you go and you clean yourself up and you put on your sunday clothes there's a marked contrast between what you looked like before and what you look like now just an, an easy metaphor to understand But the thing we're to take off is our old self. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, our passage says. And that is a a thing that begins on the day of your salvation. There came a day back in December of 1973, when I was born again. And on that day, my old man died. Now I don't know why anybody would want to do this, but if they decided to write a biography of Jim Knackle, it would have to be done in two volumes. With the first volume ending in December of 1973 when Jim died. And the second volume beginning on that same day when he came alive in Christ and began his new life. Well, we know that our old man is dead. Romans 6.6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. And if you're sitting there thinking, I still feel enslaved to sin sometimes, just wait, we're going to get there. Well, that's what we're to take off. The fact that we died doesn't mean we still don't act the way we did before. It's just take off those things you did before and then put on the new self. Well, what is this new self? It says, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Last week or two weeks ago, Zach showed us that the sinfulness of our old ways was due to the hardness of our hearts. And Jesus spoke much the same thing when he talked to people and he said, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what defiles a person. It's your heart that defiles you. The heart and the spirit are kind of talked about almost interchangeably here, and they're they're practically synonymous. You, You may say a person's spirit flows from his heart, as does his speech and his works. Here's the way James kind of weaves them together in his epistle. He's talking about ladies and wives in particular here. And he says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So this is what we're to put on our, the, the new man the new corrected heart that we got on the day that we were saved. Now our passage says that this new heart was created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Theologians sometimes differentiate the old man and the new man kind of like this. And I didn't turn, I had a bunch of things I should have turn to and I will just go buy them all. Okay. We'll get to that in a minute. They would, the theologians would describe this, this differentiation between the old man and the new man like this. They would say the old man was not able not to sin. The new man is able not to sin. That doesn't mean that the old man, every single thing he did was was terrible, sinful things. Nor does it mean that the new man only does good and righteous things. But he is able now not to sin. So here is the the thousand dollar question. If our old self is dead and our new life is made in God's likeness, in righteousness, why do we still struggle with sin? And the simple answer is your flesh. Now, maybe you've noticed, but when you were saved and all things became new and you looked in the mirror, somehow you still looked the same. Now, maybe you went and got a haircut, maybe you changed the way you dress, but it was still pretty obvious that's the same guy. At least he looks the same. What's more, you have the same brain, you have the same memories, the same history, and the same sinful responses to situations in life. This is the part of your old man that you still possess, and it's referred to as your flesh. But now you have a new heart, you have a new spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And you will choose now whether you're going to yield yourselves to that new spirit or whether you will yield yourself to the old way of doing things. That's where the struggle comes from. If you think it's unique to you, just when you get home today, get out your Bible and read Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 Paul talks about the struggle that he himself has with his flesh to the point where he says in my flesh dwelleth no good thing he says i find then a, a law when i seek to do good evil is right there present with me and he gets to the end of the chapter and he says oh wretched man that i am who is going to deliver me from the, this body of sin Christ Jesus, that's his conclusion. That's who's going to deliver me. So how are we to be renewed in the spirit of our minds? Retraining your mind is hard, just like learning to ride a backwards bike would be really hard. Most of us would just give up long before we ever mastered it. And that's okay because learning to ride a backwards bike is not very important. Becoming like Christ is. It is especially hard if you have been riding a normal bicycle for a very long time. Something I didn't tell you in that story is this same guy told his, I think he was an, his son was eight years old and had only been riding a bike for, A couple of years. He told him, if you'll practice and learn to ride this backwards bike, and he had a little one made for his son, he says, I'm making a trip to Australia next year. I'll take you with me. Took the kid about, I think it was four or five weeks, and he learned how to do it. Took dad eight months. It's because it wasn't as ingrained in that young guy's mind, that and Young kids learn things a lot faster than we do. You probably have noticed that. But it still was not easy even for him. He got on that. He knows he can ride a bike, and he gets on this and falls right down. He had to get his mind retrained. Well, this idea of retraining your mind is not peculiar to this passage. It is really what uh, we're taught here in verse 21 when it says, take off your former way of life and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. But it's also what Paul taught the Romans in Romans 12 2, when And he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And it's what he told the Colossians when he said, Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge, according to the image of your creator. The answer to having victory over sin, of having a changed life where you live in contrast to the world, is changing the way you think. You have a new heart that will allow you to learn to follow Christ It is retraining your mind to do just that. Well, where do you start? What is it that I'm supposed to stop doing? What is it that I'm supposed to start doing? Well, beginning next week, Zach is going to start getting very specific. We left off in verse 24. When we get to verse 25, he says there, put away lying. Lying, we have to get rid of lying. Interesting, that's the first thing he says. I bet you most of us would say, Well, I'm not a liar. But the first thing he mentions is you got to put off lying. And he's going to go on and he's going to tell us that we have to put off other things like anger and, oh, he'll talk about laziness and a whole bunch of things. And you're going to probably get your toes stepped on. But I urge you to determine beforehand that you are not going to yield to your flesh and say to the Holy Spirit, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me how to live my life. He's just judging me. Now, Scripture, God is allowed to judge us. He's allowed to say, this is sin, stop it. That's what he's going to do. And it's not going to be fun. I mean, how many of you just love it when somebody comes up and says, you know, you're doing something wrong, you better stop it. Most of us get very defensive very quickly. Well, we need to be prepared and ready to say, "Now I'm going to yield to the spirit of God. You know, this is, this is all assuming, like Paul said, that you are a child of God. If you think by just strength of your will and a lot of work, you can just make yourself into a holy person that will be accepted by God, you are sadly mistaken. I imagine there's a few among us who have tried. It's one of the things you find if you you read a history of Martin Luther, you find out this is a guy who tried way harder than I ever did to become a holy man. And he absolutely knew he couldn't do it. When he was told he ought to love God, he said, love God? He's the one who's going to send me to hell. Why would I love him? It was after he came to know him as his Savior that he could say, oh, I, I love God. He did for me what I couldn't do for himself, myself. If you're in that boat, say, I just, I'm trying to be good enough. I don't seem to be making it. Or maybe even worse, if you say, I'm, I, I think I am good enough now. Need to face the truth of what Scripture says. We are all sinners. And only His sacrifice can make us right before Him. And the, the cleansing of His Spirit living within us can make us become, in practical purposes in everyday life, more and more like Him. Well, as you put these things into practice, in the weeks and months to come, you're not only going to get told this is what you need to stop doing and this is what you need to start doing, but we're also in in Ephesians here going to get the instruction that we need to where we can be successful in these things even when you've failed in the past. We've got to get through the whole letter and it's kind of interesting because when Paul wrote this letter, I'm sure the Ephesians sat down and they read the whole thing right through and it probably took them an hour and we're going to spend a year on it. Maybe they were a little brighter than us and we're slow, but well, we'll, we'll give them something. It was written to them in their own language, in their own culture, in their own time and we've got to figure all these things out. But it has the information we need to be successful. So if you're sitting there saying, I've I've tried this before and it didn't work. Well, the answer is in the book of Ephesians. Stick with it, through the whole thing, be ready to have your toes stepped on, be willing to yield to the spirit and you will see success. Just so you have something to start with, I'm gonna give you some practical things. That I'm running out of time, so I'll make this really quick. Three M's, easy to remember. Um, Let's see if I, yes. First one is manage the inputs. You know, the world is working very hard to conform you to its image. You don't have to try to let it do that, it will do it just by you existing in this world. But you do have. Some say over what comes into your mind. You decide what books you're going to read and what things you're going to watch for entertainment and what radio programs you're going to listen to and what you're going to peruse on the internet and what your, what podcasts you listen to. You, you do have some say over it. Some things you can't help, but you do have some say over it. So manage As much as you can, what is coming into your mind? You can decide what good things are going in and make that the priority. Well, number two, you're not going to like this, memorize the Bible. I don't mean the whole Bible. I mean parts of the Bible. Get them in your mind. Now, a bunch of us are getting older. And it, I, I know it gets much harder to memorize when you're older, but much harder doesn't mean impossible. We can memorize. We do memorize things that we choose to memorize. And I, I can, I'll guarantee you, I, I never could, nor, and certainly can't now, do like one of my daughters uh, who well, it's it's a, a longer story, and I, I I'll tell you I won't tell you the whole story. But she came down one morning, and and she's just all red-eyed, and I I said what in the world's wrong with you? And she says oh, I didn't sleep last night. So, why not? Well, Bible quizzing is going to be over the book of Romans, and I had determined if I got to be on the quizzing team, I would. Um, each person would memorize a different chapter in the book. And I was going to be memorizing Romans chapter, I think it was five. And and we had just told her the day before that she would be able to go to this school and be on the quizzing team. So, So I stayed up last night and memorized Romans chapter five. I could never memorize a chapter in Romans overnight. But that doesn't mean we can't memorize scripture and it is so good to have this firmly planted in your mind and when I say memorize scripture I don't mean get it to where you can look at your Bible and then quote the verse and then close it and walk away and five minutes later you can't say it anymore. I mean get it to where this is in your mind where when you're driving down the road you can quote that passage back to yourself. Now here's the thing. You probably I know I shouldn't hit my microphone. I've always hated it when church said, we're going to do a memory program, and they would give you a list of verses and say, by this date, we want you to have these done, and this date, we want you to have these done, and I'd wonder, why did they choose this one and that one, and why did they choose these, and and I'm never gonna get these in the right, and I just didn't like those programs. Well, sometime, I think I was in my early 40s, I had like this epiphany he says, you're a grown-up now. You can memorize whatever you want. And you can do it in the speed you can do it. And I started memorizing Scripture. And, yeah, lots of it that I memorized, I couldn't quote to you perfectly anymore. That's not one of those things that's like riding a bike. You have to work at it to keep them in your mind. But, but it can be done. And it has great benefit. One of the things I did... I would make up little bookmarks like this for myself. This is a, a passage that I had memorized. It's Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14. Uh, a very good passage to know. But uh, you would just take that and I'd put it in whatever book I was reading and I would work on it every now and then. I'd read it when I said, started thinking. I think I have pretty much got the gist of it. I would turn this thing over, and what I did on the back, there's just a bunch of letters there. And for each verse, it has the first letter of each word in the verse. So I would turn it over, and I would start trying to do it according to just the first letter of each word. And just add a little bit more and more to it. And even if it takes you six months to memorize something this long, that is a good thing to have in your mind. Another thing I found about getting older, and maybe this isn't an issue for you guys, but you don't sleep as well as you used to. You find yourself every now and then being awake in the middle of the night. And how much better to say, you know, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, and go on through that passage. And one thing I found out, if you really are tired and you start quoting scripture, you'll fall back asleep. And if you're not, you can say, well, I've got time. Let me think this thing through. Why is each one of these words even there? Just know that passage. My favorite line in this thing is the very last verse. It's talking about how merciful and gracious God is, but at the end it says, for he knoweth our frame He remembereth that we are dust. And I've had points in my life where I said, yep, that's me, dirt. And he knows that about me. And he still was this loving, gracious God. So memorize scripture. If it's a little bit, that's more than it was before. And I have a few of these. If anybody's interested in that passage, come see me. I'll give you one. And the other one is, we've kind of already talked about, it's meditate on what you memorize. If you focus your brain on the Word of God, you find some of those passages that you often just read over because you never heard a sermon on that passage. Like, I've never heard a sermon on the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Unless somebody was going all through the book of Romans and they got to that place. But you can start learning about those things. Why is that even there? But I digress. And our time is up and you've been very patient. But I do urge you, stick with the book of Ephesians. Realize it is here to help us become more like Christ. And as we do, it will result in us just being characterized by unity in love. And it will also mean when people look at us, they will say they are different than this world. And hopefully they'll start asking why. And you can give them a good answer. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are such a good and gracious God. You've made it very clear to us that we We're born with a sin nature and we have lived in sin. And you understand that we still struggle with those things. And we tend to yield to our flesh. But you've you've made a way for us to be righteous before you because of the sacrifice of your son. But you've also made a way for us to begin becoming more and more like you each day. Lord, help us to just be determined that we will do as you say. We'll yield ourselves to you. We will retrain our minds to think the way you think until that point where we see ourselves reacting the way you would react. When that comes about, Lord, we don't have our own hard work and stick-to-itiveness to to thank for it, but the Spirit that you gave us when we were born again, and the instruction that you gave us, and your Word that you gave us, and the Holy Spirit that you gave us to live within us, and all the things that we learn here in in Ephesians and other places in Scripture that allow us to reprogram our minds to become more like you. and We'll thank you for it and say, look, God is doing just what he said he would do. And we'll give you the praise and thanks for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.